Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I wouldn't even have to act. Just be myself. Godfather, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You can act like a man! What's the matter with you? Welcome to the Underdog Jets podcast with Wayne Corbett and Robbie Sabo. Welcome back, Jets fans, to the Underdog Jets podcast with Wayne Corbett, your favorite New York Jets all-time receiver. Don Maynard, of course, too. Wesley Walker, Altoon, can't forget about all the greats. L. Coles, who hopefully we get on the podcast soon. We got to work that out. But today, it's undrafted day. We're going to talk about some of the all-time undrafted players in NFL history and some of the current Jets who are undrafted fighting to make the team. Some of the most recurring feedback I get when at OTAs is about some of the undrafted guys, which is interesting. So we'll get into that a little bit. Wayne, what's going on? Good. Good to be here for episode seven. We, you know, filmed the episode six. I thought it went great. You know, got a lot of reaction to the uh, the mailbag and the, uh, the last podcast and some of the comments we put out there. Again, we're doing the mailbag, uh, you know, in upcoming episodes, but uh, certainly great to be back doing another podcast with you, Robbie. Absolutely. Same here. And as you guys listened to earlier, we, um, we talked about OTAs last week, last Thursday. This one, we're going to take a little bit different course. It's about the undrafted players all time. And number 80 knows about that for sure. He also knows today is a little bit different compared to his era. It's, it's, a, it's a fight for these guys these days with a shorter preseason, with less live practices. You know, imagine jumping into a practice and, you know, being a hard hitting safety and knowing that tackling is your deal, but you can't really showcase it all the time. That's got to be frustrating, right? Yeah. Um, like I said, you know, it's frustrating when you know you could do more um, and you can't really hit nobody and, uh, or, or be hit to get to show. Um, it's not, not just they can't hit you, but you can't have them hit you and show how quick you could bounce up for it. Mm-hmm. you know, from it and and shake it off. So it goes both ways, offense and defense. But like I said, I've always said it, guys in shorts and t-shirts look fabulous. I saw it every year for 11 years and then the pads get put on, separates the boys from the men and things change. So this is nice, little, you know, beginning to see what people could do on the field, but things are going to change once, you know, the heat of the summer comes and uh, they put the pads on. 
How do you feel about that? Because there is a lot less hitting in practice these days. Yeah. Do you think it's gotten to a point where it's counterproductive for the players? I do. I mean, we hit every day. Um, so we got used to that. And a lot of lives, you know, 11 on 11. But, uh, you know, Herm was good. Herm Edwards was good about two on one off with some of the veteran guys. He took care of me, you know, especially the receivers saving our legs and stuff like that. But like I said, you know, things change that first day you do goal line, you know, full, full speed. But uh, I don't know. Like I said, if we didn't have pads when I played, I might not have had an opportunity to make the right. team just based on how different I played, you know, when you are able to get hit and hit. Right. Did, did Parcells have the more, the most physical August of all the coaches you played for? Um, yeah, it was pretty physical. I mean, he believed in that, you know, full speed. Um, never, never finishing guys off. And he hated fighting. Yeah. You know, you, you'd think that'd be the opposite, but mm-hmm. he hated fighting. He hated, you know, cheap plays. But uh, yeah, you have to go out. There. I think now you can only hit every third practice, which is, I understand it trying to save guys' bodies, but uh, you have to be prepared for that, conditioned to get hit and hit the ground and get back up and hit the ground and get up. You know, if you're not used to that, you're going to be bad shape the first Monday after a game, not having been hit all preseason. Yeah. Fatigue and football. It's not just about cardio. It's about wear and tear too. Yeah. You got to get used to that. That's why you see tons of injuries with the lack of uh preseason and uh mini camps last year, a lot of hamstrings, a lot of Achilles, a lot of knees, you know, just from the lack of uh, conditioning. Yeah, we got to get these uh, baseball players hitting each other so to knock the injuries down, right? Yeah, you know, guys get hurt. Yeah, they miss because they're sore. I don't know what that is. Mm. You know, the ha- ha- hamstring tightness. No shit, your hamstring's going to be tight. You're running full speed and stopping in like two steps and changing direction and doing this and doing that. I mean, yeah, you're sore. Play, man. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Just play. If you're 95%, 90%. You're probably better than your backup by far anyway at 100 percent the the miracles of modern medicine you know, yeah. helps everybody yet rest uh, rest management i don't know what that is it's right terrible. it's yeah. it's kind of you know there comes a point where someone's got to go okay maybe we're going a little too far but that you know baseball all that stuff that's a whole different story for another day which maybe we'll dig deeper into now that i know wayne's a i knew you played fantasy you know, yeah. back in the day, but I didn't know how big into it you were. So we'll definitely do some episodes down the line. Okay. Um, let's the top 10 for you football fans out there, NFL network. I'm sure you've seen the shows, the top 10 shows. I think they're, I think they're an hour long, half hour, hour, but they always have a lot of guys chiming in. Uh, we're going to talk about the top 10 ranked undrafted players in NFL history. Wayne is number 10. I think uh, Mike Francesa had an appearance on this one. Joe Benigno. Uh, oh, the pain, Joe Benigno, uh, Rich Eisen. And we're going to go down the list, talk about these guys and um, see what Wayne has to think about each of these guys. Number 10 is obviously you, Wayne. And looking at the list, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a solid placement for you. Yeah. But I mean, come on, man, just to be on that list, you know, and have, you know, the, the, the numbers, you know, collaborating the 10 hits and my name's up there and I show highlights and the great, 
media and, and players talk about you just to be mm-hmm. on the list. I don't care if I'm number 10, just to be considered, you know, one of, one of the, one of the better ones, one of the greats, uh, just an honor in itself. Was, um, I remember reading this recently. I don't know. I think it's true. I know your backstory with the Bengals and another team in the NFL, but wasn't there a CFL team that was really good too that you had to try out with and it didn't work out? Yeah, I went to um, like an open tryout up at like in Maryland. It was basically spent a hundred bucks to come. Supposedly there'd be some scouts there. I mean, it was terrible. It was early right. in the morning. It was cold. The vertical jump, they basically had things marked off on a like a street light uh, pole. And you had to like jump and like smash your face into it and like hit your hand on as high as you could. It was it was so such a meat market, such crap. Uh, I didn't make it, but actually... I used to, people have asked me, I thought you were a, a day on the Baltimore Stallions. I don't know if I got drafted or something, but I'm not giving any credit for ever being on any Canadian team. I'm a jet through and through all 11 years. So, uh, you know, that was that story. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a terrible experience, but you know, it made me appreciate more, uh, going to an NFL camp. Okay. Yeah. That one, uh, I don't know where I read it, but that one just stuck in my head. Number nine, let's get this list going. Tony Romo. And on this show, uh, someone had a zinger, Rich Eisen. I think it was uh, about Tony Romo's girlfriends. He should have a top 10 of his own in terms of girlfriends, Jessica Simpson and Carrie Underwood and so on, kind of like Jeter. And you played in the era of Jeter. Did you ever cross paths with Jeter, by the way? I did, you know, a couple of times where, you know, much respect between us being, you know, New York athletes and, uh, you know, fan favorites. But uh, yeah, I loved the Loved everything he did with uh, my uh, Yankees, having been a great fan my whole life. Yeah, yeah, I grew up a Yankees fan myself. Kevin, the Kevin Moss days. And Mike Pagliarulo. <laughs> Randy Velarde, Andy Stankowitz. Yeah, Dan Pasqua, the lefties in that short porch. I remember that. I, I have very bad memory. Short term's terrible, but I remember mm-hmm. the most stupid facts about things when I was a kid or, or stuff like that, where this is not a name I ever thought of in the last... 25 years, but it pops to the surface as you said that. Yeah, same here. My, I don't know what I did yesterday, but yeah, um, yeah Tony Romo, you know, he was interesting because it really was Sean Payton's doing. And obviously this is a Parcells guy too. It, it happened under Parcells. Sean Payton was the offensive coordinator. Tony Romo was an excellent quarterback. No, he never advanced in the playoffs to where he probably should have, you know, given the seed going into the tournament. But Tony Romo, in terms of undrafted quarterbacks, there's only a couple that beat him. Yeah. Um, I mean, what pops to mind when you think of free agent? I mean, you think of Kurt Warner, we'll probably get to him. But then Mm -hmm. you think the next you think of is is Tony Romo and the career he had, you know, playing and just a chance to play all one team and supposedly America's team. You know, the big spotlight on him, um, you know, it's a shame when they show highlights of him. One of the ones they show is him fumbling that, you know, a hold on an extra point or field goal or something like that. But if you got a chance to watch some of his highlights and some of the plays he made and keeping plays alive with his legs, uh, he had a hell of a career. And he seems to be having a very well, uh, very good, uh, you know, announcing career. I think he's making more money now than he did when he played. Uh, which was an awful lot back then. So, uh, you know, it's great for him that he's uh, succeeded after football. Yeah. People, fans love him on CBS with Nance. He, and he calls out the play before it happens a lot because he's got that quarterback, 
you know, he played in the era where uh, the pre-snap was very, very, it's always been important, but, you know, well, he sees He seized the defense. Mm-hmm. So he sees what the quarterback's looking at. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, uh, terminology is the same, you know, blue, a blue audible or a green audible. Blue is, blue is sky. So it's a pass. Green is grass. So it's a run. You know, odd numbers to the left, even numbers to the right. It's not hard to figure out. It really isn't. That's why he's so good at it. I mean, I could do the same thing sometimes, but uh, this that's how well a student of a game he is that he can still pick up on what offenses are going to do every play. And side note too, news dropped today that Mark Sanchez is auditioning for one of those roles on CBS as well. Yeah, that could be good for him. You know, he's still had knowledge of the game. You know, got a good, uh, you know, good, uh, good popular face. So I'm sure I can see why uh, he would be hired to do that. Yeah, that would be an interesting, interesting dynamic for Jets fans if Sanchez is calling their games. Yeah, but uh, let's let's go to number eight, and this is a guy you played against. This is a guy Jets fans probably the name they curse uh, via 1998, Rod Smith of the Denver Broncos. Yeah, uh, very underrated receiver in Jet in, uh, in in NFL history. I think the years with him and Ed McCaffrey were some of the most successful, you know, tandem seasons you could ever, ever look at when with Elway, their statistics are mind blowing. So yeah, he, uh, he had a hell of a career for himself. Again, I think he played his whole career with one team, which is great because when you're a free agent and you get a chance with a team, it's awful nice that they take care of you and keep you around your whole career. So definitely considered one of the top 10 in my book. Yeah. Him and Ed McCaffrey made for a hell of a, hell of a tandem for John Elway. And it was that play, I think you guys were up 10 nothing. that play where Elway found Rod Smith downfield, which really opened it up for them in the third quarter. Uh, but he had, a, he had a hell of a career. Yeah, they did. I don't know. Where did he go to college? Do you know? He went to Missouri Southern. So okay. he, was, he was unknown. Very, very small school. But that I'll tell you, a lot of guys come from these all small and schools that go on to have uh, you know, great NFL careers. Yeah, Rod Smith was a good one. Jets fans. Sorry, he was a good one. Number eight on the list, Antonio Gates. Speaking of fantasy, he you were still playing. I think it was 2003 or 2002. He and Breeze broke out that year. And whoever hopped on those guys won their leagues. And I was fortunate enough to hop on those guys. You played against this guy as well, Antonio Gates, basketball player. He When he burst onto the scene, he never looked back. He, uh, yeah, you're finding a lot of these big man basketball players like him and like a Tony Gonzalez and some other guys. It just, it's about boxing out, you know, on these intermediate routes, these, you know, option routes in the middle and using your body to protect and giving like a a place to throw the ball. Um, he's, he's mastered the art of that, um, you know, goal line work and uh, inside the 20 work. Uh, he's not very fast. He doesn't look like he's moving fast, but uh, just crafty. And uh, I don't know, is he still playing? He might still be playing. I don't know. But he, he just hung it up recently, a couple of seasons ago. How many seasons did he play? Let's close see. 20, you know? it, it's close to 20. Yeah. Um, I think nine, I think, you know, 15 or 16. Yeah. And he was, he did well every year. And he can probably come back and play now for, for the way his game was built. I uh, never was really down the field or down the seams, but it definitely, 
made a whole career out of those in the middle uh, intermediate kind of uh, touchdown passes. Yeah, first with Breeze, then with Philip Rivers. Yeah. Uh, you guys took him on in 2004, shocked him in San Diego, right. that uh, playoff game. I think you might have, were you not dressed for that game? Was that no, the, the, the Moss w- game, right? I was out. Um, and uh, the greatest thing was after the game, I was so excited that I was going to get a chance to play the next week because as far as I'm concerned, my season was over if uh, if because uh, con- of concussion. Yep. If, uh, you know, if we didn't win that game. So I got a chance to come back the next week. Yeah, that was the Doug Bryan game in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'll talk about it. <laughs> one one of these days, we'll have to dig into those rough ones. Right. Doug Bryan and uh, Oakland, but we'll see. Another, another time and place. Next on the list, Warren Moon, number six, undrafted. I can't believe this guy went undrafted. How? Again, speaking of the CFL, he started in the CFL. But Warren Moon went undrafted. And if not for, we'll take a look at where he ranks all time, but if not for the rules drastically changing and pass yards coming much easier, he'd still be up there, you know, across the board in terms of numbers. Yeah, uh, he might be in the Hall of Fame in Canadian NFL. I mean, he had a hell of a career there. I think he won a couple of, was it Grey Cups? Is that their championship? Yeah, that's it. So, uh, yeah, he established himself, you know, there as a great quarterback and then to come in the pros and have it translate you know, as well as he did with uh, with Houston. And we talked about their receiving core uh, and some of the guys they had when we talked about the all-time greatest slot receivers in NFL history. So, yeah, he put together, uh, together a very successful, you know, statistically great you know, NFL career. And another guy who made, he might have played, what, 20 years combined in the two leagues? Yeah, he played a long time. And it's, it's a shame, too, because he, he could have played more NFL years, but – he played in the CFL first and he's still number 12 all time on the passing yards list. And he didn't play in this era. I mean, look at all the guys above him, all modern guys, pretty much Aaron Rodgers, John Elway. Obviously he's not modern guy, Matt Ryan, Eli, big Ben Marino rivers, Favre, Manning, Brady. Someone's got to come up with a formula to compare the eras. It's impossible, but considering the stats are so overwhelming and now it's going to be 17 games, guys like moon are going to get lost in the shuffle for the youngsters. Yeah. You know what? It's, it's the equivalent of, cause I'm a, I'm a big football, uh, sorry, baseball fan guys like, uh, um, Ichiro and Matsui, who, if you combine their, you know, their, their careers over, uh, you know, and, and playing in the two leagues, their statistics would, would top anybody, um, you know, in, in, in Japanese baseball and in, in the MLB. So, uh, be a, it'd be a, a, a great thing to see exactly how Warren's and other guys who played in different leagues, how their statistics match up to uh, the NFL greats. Yeah, it's the young kids out there listening. Keep that in mind. These eras are completely different. Yeah. Next on the list, we go to number, who is it? Number five, Adam Vinatieri. We get to a kicker. Uh, I think it was Bill Parcells said his one famous quote. Doc, we don't need him to play football. We need him to kick. Right, right. And, and he who he's referring to, but. Yeah, and he did. More successful than I think any kicker in NFL history. Mr. Clutch, you know, how many Super Bowls did he win? Um, you know, with a kick, with time running out. Uh, I think he just retired recently. He played well over 20 years. I mean, he's yes. like, yeah, full gray hair and full gray beard and like just did not matter. He still had a leg on him and uh, he played as long as he wanted to, which is a great thing. And 
one Super Bowl. So he definitely, if there's going to be a kicker on the list, it should be Adam Vinatieri. Let's see here. Four-time Super Bowl champ, three with the pass. Yeah. And what kind of odds are there for kicking two game-winning Super Bowl field goals? I mean, that's incredible. Right. Then he goes to the Colts and quite literally the year or the second year he goes to the Colts, they knock off the Pats finally and Peyton Manning gets his first. So everywhere he went, it seemed to work out. And yeah, he was a kicker, but he'll be a hall of fame kicker. I think, even though it's tough to get in there at four kickers, but that kick in the tuck rule game in the snow, right. I mean, you got to give him a lot of credit for that. Yeah. I mean, like I said, he's one of the best, most clutch. And like, it's crazy because you think about it and if you're watching the game, he just knew he was going to make it. Mm-hmm. And we, I have not been on many teams. We just talked about the Doug Bryan game in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. They, they never had that like automatic. It's a gimme. And that's how it was with him. That must have been a nice feeling. Yeah. I mean, the closest thing we had to that when I was there, um, I guess I, the one I played the most with was John Hall. And uh, he was a great kicker. But the thing about John Hall, I don't have to tell the stories, but he was probably the most vicious tackler uh, that was yes. a kicker in NFL history. I mean, he would go down there and like clothesline people. He was a great guy to play with. Great, great guy. Great player. Yeah, he was physical kicker. I, yeah. I remember him he, and he loved it. He seemed to love it. And he, uh, won, and he won the Monday Night Miracle for us. Yes. You know, I, I, that's a lot of pressure to come back all the way from that and, and ice it with the uh, field goal kick that he had. And the Oakland game too. In yeah. uh, 2001, Herm's first year. So very fortunate that I played with him. Uh, the, the, for the new age Jets, Braden Mann, perhaps he's turning into a physical punter. He had some tackles last year too. And right. I know Jets fans on Twitter love that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. You got to love a guy that gets his nose dirty. You know, some of these kickers, you see kickers are the best golfers. If you watch all the pro-ams, kickers and pitchers, that's because they don't work out. We're working out there in the hot tub, reading the, reading the, the, the business news and the, and, the, and the magazines and stuff like that. And then swinging in the, in the, in the back there, their golf clubs where everybody's out there conditioning and hitting. So kickers uh, usually don't do that. So to have man and have John Hall, uh, you know, those are extra special guys. Next on the list is number four. And this is going way back fullback Marion Motley of the Cleveland Browns. Motley was a good football player. His claim to claim to fame is that he was one of two African-Americans to play professional football in the modern era, breaking the color barrier, along with teammate Bill Willis in September of 1946. So Motley, obviously important. We discussed Namath a couple episodes ago. Certain guys in NFL history, they just they go far beyond the box score and their importance to the league is magnified and duplicated and, and Motley certainly falls into that class and he did it as an undrafted guy. Yeah. I uh, don't know much about him. Um, but from what you say, it sounds like he was very important in NFL history. And, uh, you know, if he's on this list, which is a pretty big list that, uh, he must've been a, phen- a phenomenal player as well as, as, as the man that he was. So, uh, again, just to be considered on a list with someone like this is a true honor. Yeah, for sure. And as a fullback, you know, back in those days, that was a critical position. That wasn't just a blocking position back in those days. So Motley certainly had his fair share of carries. Other guys who didn't make the list, me and Wayne were searching for lists, all-time greats um, prior to the podcast. And we saw one on NFL.com, which had 30 guys. 
And Wayne got snubbed from this one. Gil Brandt, which, which is interesting. Uh, other guys on that list that didn't make the list we're talking about, the top 10, which was, I think, earlier in time, were Wes Welker, who obviously is deserving. And, you know, as we talked about the slot two episodes ago, Wes Welker, Edelman, Amendola. You're still the godfather. We know this. <laughs> but... Welker, what did you think about his game? Yeah, another guy who uh, kind of came out of nowhere. And it's interesting how, um, you know, they always said Belichick kind of got into the whole slot receiver thing based on him, uh, you know, with me in New York. And they found a gem in him. You know, he's more of a punt returner with Miami. And I think having seen him twice a year for a couple of years and Belichick thought that he's the kind of guy that kind of fits, you know, perfectly with Brady. And he had a hell of a career. I know he had some injuries, but, um, you know, if you look at statistics, as far as catches, uh, you know, every year, you know, he's definitely uh, near the top. Another receiver, Drew Pearson. Right. And that's a hell of a option right there as an undrafted free agent. America's team, Dallas, Super Bowls. I mean, Drew Pearson was tremendous. Yeah. Yeah, Super Bowls. That's the key. He won some Super Bowls and uh, he's made some plays where they go back and show the great battles of uh, the Super Bowl and the uh, Steelers and Cowboys rivalry. It seems like every time you put on the film, you see him making a, a big time catch or, uh, you know, a big touchdown in some of their games. Other guys, linemen, Nate Newton, Jason Peters, uh, Priest Holmes. Another guy, that's another fantasy guy. Yes. He'll, get you, he'll get you 30, 40 points. I mean, he's, he, I mean, how many times did he go for three, four touchdowns in a game? Um, he was back, huge. back then. Yeah. He, uh, he was, that had a hell of a career. Uh, I don't think he's someone that you immediately think of when you're thinking of top undrafted guys, but he's definitely a uh, top of the list. Yeah. Priest Holmes, um, Sean Alexander too, for fantasy, but does not belong on this list. Uh, Cornell green DB cliff Harris. So th- there's a lot more and it surprised me how many more great undrafted guys there are than I previously thought Willie Wood cornerback for Lombardi's Green Bay Packers, Willie Brown, cornerback for Oakland. So the list goes on and on. Emlyn Tunnel, Giants great DB. You can go in so many different directions, which is why we wanted to look at a few different lists. Um, Number two, number three, John Randall. A lot of sacks in that career. Hall of Fame, and he did it from a defensive tackle spot, which is yeah. a lot tougher to do. He um he was nasty, but he was funny out there. He talked yeah. nonstop. And I'll tell you a story. We were playing um, versus them, and I was having a good game, and I was making a lot of plays. And he's like, someone hit that little, you know, whatever. And he's like, I said something to him, and of course passed with him. He said, I'm going to taste your blood, little man. I was like, damn, dude, I'm not, that's, that's like some nasty stuff. I'm like, looking at him, like, he's got the black, live black all over his face. And I got a, a chance to do some, some events with him after I played. And I told him about that. And he was laughing, but a uh, great guy, great character, funny guy. Uh, I did a show at the Super Bowl called um, something like, can you make you, can you make you laugh or something like that? It was a game show and they had comedians come. And if you laughed, you lost. And he basically sat there and you had guys telling the funniest jokes in the world. And he just deadpan, just stared right through him. He's a scary guy, scary guy, but a, a great human being and, and obviously a super player. 
I want to taste your blood. Was he a vampire? I don't know, man. He's he's scary out there. He's not, you know, they don't make him like that anymore, man. He, no. was, he, he was a trip out there the way he talks so much. Yeah. He, and he's got to be one of the all time best Mike liked yeah. guys, right? You yeah. Know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I follow him on, uh, you know, I saw him at, um, Kevin Mawai's hall of fame induction and we got to talking a little bit and he was telling me what he felt about me. And I was like, me, I was like, this is how I feel about you. You know, I love you. You're a great player. You, you know, I wish you the best and you know, all the success you had. And he's tied 10th all time with Richard Dent, 137.5 sacks. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, he, was, he was a special player. There's a reason he was, was he first ballot in the Hall of Fame? Probably. Probably. I, yeah. I know he's in there. I don't know if it was first ballot, but yeah. either way, he was tremendous. And another, you know, another thing, speaking of stack, uh, stats, sacks is another thing, you know, didn't co- become official to 1982, kind of hurt Clicko a lot, even right. Gastineau as well, uh, because their sack numbers aren't what they really should be. Right. So, um, yeah. And he will always be considered one of the greats. I don't care how long from now you think about it. Um, and, uh, you know, all, all the, uh, you know, accolades he gets, he definitely deserves. And like I said, if you don't know him, you get, you know, if you meet him, you'll, you'll be very happy to get a chance to talk to him because he's a very pleasant guy. Would you say he's the most uh, chatty player you've ever come across on the field? Yeah. And you got to think about it. He's on the line of scrimmage. So I could hear what I can hear. From a distance, yeah. I can imagine what the linemen are hearing uh, every play uh, when he's chatting. Yeah, the the, the all time chat guys will have to yeah peek into that too. Number two, Dick Night Train Lane, and on a lot of people's lists, this guy's the best DB of all time. He was just a kill. I mean, he hit people. He picked the ball off. I mean, there was a lot more interceptions back then, but he literally did it all. You know, Jets fans are saying Revis, Revis, Revis. In terms of cornerbacks, you know, the modern cover corner, I think Revis hit the highest high. The like those three or four seasons, no one's beaten it. Not even Dion. Right. I think Dion's the best cover corner of all time, but I think Revis hit the highest high. Dick Knight Train Lane was I can't put them in that category. I can't put him in that category. He did so much more. He hit guys, he picked the ball off. He was scary out there, and he's number two. I can't believe he went undrafted. Yeah. Um, can you look up his statistics? I'm, I'm curious about even what they were back then, but he was vicious out there. I mean, yeah, he's a he, vicious guy, he was a smart guy, but he uh, he had a heck of a career. And like you said, for someone who wasn't drafted, which is amazing, uh, he was a hell of a player. I don't think he's up there in the all-time interceptions list. Uh, yeah, Emlyn Tunnel's number two. Paul Krause is number one, who played for the Redskins, uh, Washington football team and the Vikings. Rod Woodson's number three. Night Train Lane's number four. 89, excuse me, 69 interceptions, which is just ridiculous. Charles Woodson, number five with Ken Riley. Ed Reed, number seven, played for the Jets. Ronnie Lott also played for the Jets late in his career, number eight. So Night Train Lane, again, Folks, if you're listening to this, just after the podcast is over, go to YouTube and search Night Train Lane highlights. He oh. <laughs> he would clothesline guys, professional yeah. wrestling clothesline guys before they outlawed it. He's probably the reason they did outlaw it. Yeah, he was vicious. Uh, like I said, that's a lot of interceptions for that era in football, considering they didn't throw nearly as much as they throw now. But uh, definitely, if he, you know, he's number two, he could certainly be uh, number one on many other lists. Yeah, Western Nebraska CC is where he went to college, which Jeez. 
I How do we find that guy? I don't know. I don't even know if that's a college anymore, to be that's honest. That's another thing where he came in unknown, and when they put the pads on, he just shined. Yeah. You know what I mean? Another, not a shorts t shirts guy, but a guy would put the pads on, he just would just take you out. And that's why he's uh, thought of as one of the best ever. Yeah. Rookie year, 1952, two touchdowns uh, as a, as a defensive player, um, 14 interceptions. Yeah. I mean, 12 games, 14 interceptions, two touchdowns. You gotta be kidding me. Yeah. And a safety. Uh, that's off the charts. Good. Yeah. yeah. He's when you're, when you're constructing all time teams, he's, he's probably one of the four DBs. I mean, it would be crazy not to make him one of the four DBs. And he's probably one of the most under the radar, great players of all time. Yeah. I might have to get me a night train lane Jersey. Now that yeah, we're talking about him, I got to watch some more of his highlights. Cause I've seen them and uh, they're, they're amazing. And like I said, just in that era, the way he played and the amount of, uh, you know, cause you see guys today, like Revis was considered one of the best, but some years he had one interception, two interceptions. That's cause they did go at him. You know, they're not, you know, they don't get attacked like some of these guys, but it seems like they won at night train lane and he made them pay for it all the time. Yeah. And during his era, DBs had to be run support guys. Like there yeah. wasn't even a question about it. Right. Number one, the grocery manager himself, Kurt Warner, when he won the Super Bowl, was it the 1999 season? I think it was the season you guys, Vinny, tore the Achilles. And you guys fought back from a bad record, finished eight and eight. What were you thinking when you were watching this guy win the Super Bowl coming out of nowhere, obviously undrafted? You know, what was going through your mind? No, that's one of the great Cinderella stories, you know, in football history, if not sports history. Um, the fact that he came in and uh, and it's not just that that Super Bowl year, you know, it's what he did, you know, with the Rams and then with the Arizona, other teams, um, he just put for, for coming to the league so late, you know, uh, I don't know how old he was when he came into the NFL, but uh, he had a hell of a career and when he could win championships, you know, like, you know, not being highly thought of after that and, and leave the game as a hall of famer. That's a special story. Yeah. He came in at 27. So he's 28 that Super Bowl year. Had a cup of tea with Green Bay, I believe, uh, when Favre was there. So, you know, one one year you're grossing, you're bagging groceries as a grocery store manager, and the next year you're in the Super Bowl winning the MVP to boot. Um, excellent, excellent list. You know, a lot more guys than anyone would anticipate going in. At Wayne Corbett finishes 10th on the top 10. It's that video from NFL network that everyone's seen i'm sure and this year the jets have their own undrafted guys looking to make the team and when i'm doing reports from otas just tweeting out stuff the number of responses and inquiries i get about undrafted guys especially kenny yaboa is off the charts uh kenny yaboa isaiah dunn uh rashad another oregon state guy like dunn off the edge they uh it's not easy to make the team as an undrafted guy. Chris Nagar, kicker, who had a good showing with Ficken when they went, they kept uh, kicking field goals going back and back, and they were simulating sound. Sala was having the whole team scream at them. Uh, and they were also doing the rush drill, getting onto the field and rushing the field goal. Nagar went three for four, Ficken went four for four, so he's locked in a battle there. 
other than Nagar, you know, it's tough to make the team, even for Nagar. So Kenny Yaboa, Dunn, Eifler, Tristan Hodge, Jordan Peters, Brennan White, Grant Hermans, Michael Dwumfor, Teton Saltas. Wayne, I mean, do you see any of these kids, any one of these kids having a leg up or is it just an uphill climb, especially in today's day and age? It's definitely an uphill climb. But I had said last year, without many camps because of COVID and without much of a training camp, majority of these guys, 90% of these guys wouldn't even got a look uh, in, in practice and gotten any reps that were uh, meaningful. So I like when camp starts, you know, and every day of the news comes out on um, players to watch and the free agents. I don't know as much about them now, but uh, I always said if they didn't have training camp, uh, the way it was back then, I probably want them not have got a chance um, to uh, to make the team. So this this podcast might not be taking place, you know, based on that. So these guys have a big advantage having having some training camp this year. Uh, so I, I look forward to hearing about you know the, the what ifs uh, and who could be the one of the next great uh, Austria, sorry Austria uh, Jet uh, free agents. Yeah, and I guess it's it's overwhelmingly negative today compared to your era for these guys. But I guess the one positive is that the rosters are expanded. So there, there are more slots, you know, practice squad and it's yeah. more lenient, but in terms of standing out right now, no one's really standing out by way of, wow, look at this. Right. You know, Dunn is seeing some reps, second team, third team, Yaboa is getting rotated in. They're really rotating a lot of the weapons. So, so far, I mean, we'll definitely keep you updated, but so far, no one is really standing out. Yeah, there are a lot of diamonds in the rough. You know, they just got to, you know, be polished. So, like I say, who gets a chance? You know, who gets hurt in front of them? You know, who can contribute on special teams? Mm-hmm. That's the guys that are uh, that I want to watch, guys that could do it all. Um, so, uh, looking forward to some some great battles in, in training camp, and you'll be surprised that one or two of these guys could step up and be impact players uh, in the upcoming season. Yep. And I guess Dunn has the best, I mean, going in, he should have the best odds because he did sign the richest undrafted free agent bonus ever, but we shall see. We shall see Wayne. Um, Any final thoughts? No. Uh, And like I said, the thing about being an undrafted free agent that maybe people don't know is sometimes it is better to be an undrafted free agent these days instead of like a sixth or seventh round pick because you have a choice of teams. And like the fact with him, there was a bidding war for him. So he got was able to get paid as an undrafted guy because there was so many people that wanted him. So got getting drafted. Uh, I would have liked to get drafted, but it's certainly not the worst thing in the world because I did have three teams to choose from. Um, and obviously I picked the right one. Right. And the other good sign is, Douglas seems to be getting these undrafted guys, you know, yeah. they're, they're willing to come to the jets. So, uh, you know, put that in your back pocket and move forward. Yeah. All right, Wayne, uh, good episode. Episode seven's in the books. Jets fans. We'll see you next time. Take care guys. Thank you for listening to believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.